race, um, but my day job is I work for Foursquare, which is the denomination that this church is a part of, and I have the privilege of serving about 200 congregations from Washington through North Dakota. So um, it's always a pleasure to be able to be able to speak and be a part of a gathering, especially when it's my home church. So uh, thank you for allowing me to come and speak this morning. This morning, um, I did this last service too. Um, this morning, I'm going to start and tell you about a part of my life. Um, September 18th through the 20th of this last year are three days that forever changed my life and my family's life. And to understand the significance of that day, we have to go back a little further. Now, I, I will clarify this. The tears that, I'm, um, that I have are happy tears, so I'm not about to tell you a, a super sad story. Um... Five years ago, we had a son named McAllister. Uh, but we had a lot of trouble uh, having McAllister. We had some miscarriages, and, um, and he was our miracle baby. But we felt like we were supposed to be a family of four. And so we went about trying to have another child. We had another miscarriage, and we were basically told, chances of you having another child, not very good. So we took some time, we grieved, and um, we still felt like we were supposed to be a family of four. So what do we do? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, we entered into an adoption process. We, um, we got part of an adoption agency. We went through all the paperwork, all the home studies, everything that you have to do. Um, that took about six months, and then we became what's called a waiting family, where what you do is you wait, and you wait, and you wait, until a birth mother, birth father, they look through the families that are waiting and they pick a family. Um, and we waited. We had um, a few opportunities to be considered and we were never picked. On September 18th, Uh, I had just gotten back from a work trip. My wife was on her way to her funeral, oddly enough. And we got a call saying a birth mother had come into the adoption agency. She had given birth to a son a few days earlier, and she was making an adoption plan for her child. Would we want to be considered because she wanted to place uh, the child with a family that already had an, an older son. She wanted, she wanted her son to have a big brother. 
We, of course, said yes, because we always said yes. And we were told, okay, she's going to come in later that day, and she's going to uh, pick, pick a family. So that afternoon, we waited. That evening, we waited. We didn't hear anything. We'd been through this enough that it was like, okay, we didn't get picked again. You grieve a little, and we do what we always did, which was prayed for that child, prayed for the birth parents, and prayed for the adoptive family. We went about our day the next day, September 19th. It was a Thursday. We were going about work. And then early afternoon, one, two o'clock, somewhere in there, we got an email saying, hey, just so you know, the birth mother hasn't made a choice yet. Thank you for your patience. So you're telling us there's a chance. But you try not to get too hopeful because we've been through this enough and we just had gone through this the day before. But, excuse me. About five o'clock that afternoon, we got the call. We had been picked. The birth mother and the birth father had chosen us. They had chosen us. We had some legal things that had to take place. Hopefully, it would go through with that next day on Friday, some court stuff, so that we could then go to the hospital and meet our child. Thankfully, it happened. Otherwise, we would have had to wait till Monday. Thankfully, it all went through. There were some ups and downs through that day. But we got the call, and about a little over 24 hours later, we were in the hospital. We walked into that room. We met our son for the first time. He was 10 days old. He'd been born about six weeks premature, and he was on a feeding tube. And we immediately fell in love with this little child. It was an amazing day. He was in the hospital for another 10 days. My wife was able to stay in the hospital with him. And in a little over a week, we're going to court to finalize his adoption, where at that point, he will be fully and completely a part of our family. It will be as if he was our biological child at that point. His name is Wellington. His name will be legally changed to that on that day. And he's sitting in the front row with my wife right now. <laughs> I love you, Wellington. So why do I bring all this up? Besides to 
cry in front of you. I tell you all of this because obviously adoption has been on my mind a lot lately. And I can't think about adoption without thinking of this concept that when we say yes to Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. That we become a son or a daughter of God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be adopted into the family of God? Romans 8, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the set time has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that when we say yes to you, we are your son, we are your daughter. Open our hearts, open our minds today to your truth, to your love, to what it means to be a part of your family. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Wellington was not born into our family. He does not have our DNA. He won't have my eyes, he won't have my nose, he won't have my wife's hair, her teeth. Likewise, we are not born of God's family. We are born of this world And we have a sinful nature. As Paul says, we are born slaves. We are born into fear, into sin, into death. That's the DNA we are born with. But while Wellington Wellington is not my biological child, there are ways by which he will be identified as a member of our family outside of his last name. Every family has certain characteristics or culture about it. And while he does not share our biology, he will share our family culture. He will share our family characteristics, good or bad. His values, his humor, his interests, his speech patterns, his habits, his vocabulary, will be shaped by the culture and the characteristics of our family. Now, as any parent knows, children tend to pick up on the negative characteristics rather than the positive characteristics. Nothing like hearing your five-year-old say, what the crap, (laughs) to let you know that you've been a horrible parent, which my son has done on multiple occasions. And we have to have a talk, and we have to talk about how mommy and daddy shouldn't say that anymore either. 
but people will know that Wellington is a part of our family by these types of things, even if he doesn't look like us. Even though he does look like he could potentially be part of our family biologically. With his blonde hair and his blue eyes. Similarly, while we are born of this world and of a sinful nature, when we decide to follow Jesus, we are adopted into God's family as a son or daughter. And like with Wellington, it's as if we were born into that family, into the family of God. Being a son or a daughter of God means that we are expected to know, to understand, and to show the characteristics of our family, our adopted family. This way, everyone will be able to know that we are a child of God, that we have been adopted into his family. So what are the characteristics of the family of God? Now this morning, I'm gonna touch on a number of things, and the passages that I share will, honestly, they could all be their own messages in and of themselves. So I'm just gonna touch on a lot of things, and, and so we're not gonna be able to go as deep as we could in any one of these things. So what are the characteristics of God? Number one, love. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love is the first and greatest characteristic of our family. Love God with every part of you. When you love someone, you sacrifice for them, you look to please them, to do what they ask of you. It's your natural inclination of love. McAllister, our five-year-old, he loves to create things with Legos. And he's really good at it, way better than I ever was. And he comes to me with his creation and he tells me the name of it and he goes, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? Do you love what I've made? I say, of course, I'm proud of you. I love what you've made. When he makes good choices, he doesn't throw a fit when we tell him no. He has a good night He's had a good attitude all day. He'll ask us, are you proud of me? Are you so proud of me? Are you so happy? I made good choices. Yes, buddy, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you did so good. Our natural inclination when we love somebody is we want to please them. We want to make them proud. We want to do what they say. That's our natural inclination. And we are asked to do that for God. And not only that, but consider others, and we know that when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, that he is including everyone as your neighbor. Everyone. Seek the best for everyone. 
the way you want to be loved or treated, do that for others. Love people in a way that seeks the absolute best for them. Jesus says that everything hangs on loving God and loving every person you encounter. Characteristic number two, love. First John 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and, t- and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Love seems to be pretty important. Characteristic number three, love. John 13, starting verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Are you starting to notice a theme? As I loved you, so you must love one another. Everyone will know you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are part of my family because you love people. Characteristic number four, say it with me. Love. Now, I'm going to read you a message that uh, most of you probably had read at your wedding because love is patient. Love is kind. But I'm going to read it out of the message because sometimes 
certain scriptures like this, we hear it so much that it starts to lose some of its impact. And we tend to put this message, this, this scripture over in this little marriage box over here that we only say it at weddings and it's just what we say at weddings. But it's a very powerful thing. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse four out of the message. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. Rather, it takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limits. We only know a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. And then down in verse 13. But for now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Through love, all the other characteristics of the family come out in a glorious fashion. Through love, we are patient, we are kind, we have joy, peace, we are good and faithful, we have hope, we have faith. We are content, we are satisfied, we are humble, we seek the best for others, we are willing and happily sacrificial, we are loyal, we are dependable, we are level-headed, we are wise, all because of love. If we don't have love, we don't have any of this. We are the opposite, we are unfaithful, we are angry, we are arrogant, we seek pleasure for ourselves at all costs. We are fearful, scared, unsatisfied, wishy-washy, unwise because we lack love. When we have love, when we show love to each other, we reflect the character of our adopted family. Without love, we reflect the character of the world, the family we were born into. Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, says this, and this is out of the message. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, a vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone to a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. 
Doesn't that just sound exhausting? It's so tiring to live your life that way. Yet when we don't have love, this is what our lives look like. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. You will not be part of the family. But what happens if we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Love is important. It's the main character of our family. So how are we doing? As a son or a daughter adopted into God's family, we are called to live a life of love, showing each other, showing everyone we meet, and showing the world what God's love looks like. I've been in the church my whole life. And I've, divided my, I've devoted my life to the church. I interact with hundreds of pastors and leaders and churches. And there are a lot of great pastors and churches out there. But unfortunately, I keep seeing a lot of the same things play out themselves, play themselves out time and time again across churches. Too often, instead of a culture or a character of love, I see a culture and character of you need to look a certain way. You need to act a certain way. You need to say the right things. You can't question your faith. You can't make a mistake. You have to keep who you really are hidden. You have to keep up appearances. You have to vote a certain way. And in general, you have to fake it until you can make it. Too often, churches end up not being a safe place for someone who's struggling with sin, who's struggling with God. It's not a safe place to have open and honest conversations where we get to the real important issues that shape our lives. It wasn't planned for the young adults to come up here and talk about their gathering, but I'm so thankful for that group for hearing about what they're like, that they, they're doing what I'm talking about. They're loving these young people. I'm a former youth pastor, and I can't tell you how many times I saw somebody get to that age, and they walked away from their faith because they started to have questions. They started to struggle with things. And the church wasn't there to love them and help them and love them through whatever they were going through, whatever questions they were having, whatever was happening. So thank you to this young adults group. Thank you for showing us the way to love each other without judgment, without condemnation, to be able to just be yourself. Because we will never be perfect 
when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to following Jesus, we enter into a lifelong discipleship process of which we will never obtain perfection. Our faith will have ups and downs. I'm sorry, but it will. Your faith is not just always up and to the right. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have questions. I've watched way too many people walk away from their faith in God because they had real questions. They had real issues that they were working through or they had a secret sin that was exposed. And when that happened, the church became a very unsafe place. There was a lack of love. And specifically on the subject of sin being exposed, assuming the person is repentant, we still too often turn our backs on that person. I know I have. We're hurt, we're betrayed, were dismayed. They, they were not who we thought they were. And so, in our pain, in our desire to hurt them like they have hurt, hurt us, in our sense of justice, we turn our backs on them. At the moment, they need our love more than they would ever need it. We turn our backs and they're shunned. So instead, they find a group of people willing to accept them in their brokenness, and they walk away with a distorted view of God and his love and his church. They were part of a family, but the character and the culture of the family that they observed was not one of love, but instead it was a culture of us versus them, do this, act this way, look this way, say these things. If you do all of this, then you're going to be accepted and loved. And if you don't fit into this model, then you're not accepted and you're not loved. I've seen it time and time again and it breaks my heart every time. We are meant to love, not divide, not exclude, not look down on. My hope and prayer is that we are people that love extravagantly, loving them where they're at, and that we don't have a list of qualifications for us to love them. I don't know where the idea that loving someone means that we accept everything about them. It's possible to love in your pain. It's possible to love in your hurt, in your confusion. Love doesn't mean full acceptance of everything someone does. It means accepting them as a person where they're at with no strings attached. Love does not mean we endorse everything that they do, but love says that they are a valuable person deserving of love. We can love someone, be friends with them, and not think that everything that they do is okay. We have to get to a place where people feel they are safe to be who they are as broken people and loved by us. That they, that they can count on us when to be there 
for them as they journey through life. I'm so tired of hearing stories of people being burned by the church. The one place no one should ever feel burned, less than, or unloved. The church should be a safe place for people to question and explore their faith. We get so threatened sometimes when someone starts to have questions or calls something out like, we talk about God being love, but why is it we are not showing love to and fill in the blank? God is not afraid of your questions. We shouldn't be either. When I was a youth pastor, I actively told my students to educate themselves, to have questions. Let's work through the issues you see as they come up. If love says, I want the best for you, then I want you to be educated about God and I want you to be educated about your faith. My hope and prayer is that we can love each other through that process, no matter what happens that you know you are loved and you are valued because you are loved and you are valued by God. And it is my job to show you that love. I know a lot of well-meaning people who have gone their entire lives. They profess to be a follower of Christ, but when you look at their life, I don't see love. Sometimes I see an obsession with the truth. Don't get me wrong, truth is important. But without love, it's a fraudulent truth. You cannot separate the truth from love because God is love and he is the truth. How successful are those guys on street corners or outside the Mariner games shouting into a megaphone? They are shouting about the truth of God. But there is zero love in what they're saying. And so what happens is that people get driven away from God further because you're saying, this is the truth of God. You need to accept it so that you can be like me. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> I don't want to be angry like you. Love is uncomfortable. And that's why we're not good at it. I'm talking about as the body of Christ as a whole, and I'm talking about us as individuals. I'm preaching to myself right now. I can be horrible at loving others. I'm selfish, I'm insecure, I'm an introvert. I often get upset at my son for playing around at bedtime, for being silly and not doing what I say and just stretching things out. Why do I get upset with him? I could stand up here and tell you, well, it's because he needs to learn how to obey and by him being silly and goofy and all of that, he's not obeying me and I'm really frustrated. But honestly, the reason I'm upset is because he's taking too long and I just want him to go to bed so that I can relax and watch TV. true. Instead of loving him and enjoying his silliness and the fun he's having and the joy he's having, I'm upset because he's cutting into daddy's TV time. 
How often do we not love someone because of our selfishness? We say we love them and, are, and, and we'll even confront them about something. We'll confront them. We'll show them tough love because that's what's best. But when we really dig down deep, there's something selfishness, some selfishness underneath that. They're cutting into your TV time. Now, disclaimer. Loving people doesn't mean that you are a pushover, that you're a doormat, that you have no boundaries, that you don't discipline people, or stay in an abusive situation. Boundaries, self-care, being safe, disciplining your children, and acting consequences with your friends and family are important. In fact, if you find yourself in a relationship where the person is not respecting your boundaries, keeps sucking the life out of you, is trying to manipulate you or abuse you in any way, the loving thing to do is to not let them do that. They are working out of their own brokenness and their own dysfunction. And when we love someone, we want the best for them. You saying no, getting out of harm's way is a way to encourage them to get help and become the best version of themselves. That means that you discipline them sometimes. I love my son, but I do discipline him when it's necessary so that he can know what is acceptable ways to interact with the world and with people and which ways are not acceptable. Love them, but safely and in a way that does not feed into their brokenness and into their dysfunction. And we need time to love ourselves. If we are only loving our neighbors as ourselves and not taking time to love ourselves, that's not going to last long. Love people extravagantly, but with boundaries and in ways that truly calls out the best of them and do not feed into their dysfunctions. So how do we love? How do we go from a, a, a people, a person, who has not, not been good at showing the love of God to people to where we get to that place. As a family, how do we get better at representing our family? First and foremost, pray. Pray that God gives you strength to love people every day. We cannot do this on our own. We need to ask God, who is love, to give us the strength to love everyone we encounter that day to have our natural disposition be geared towards loving people. Loving people is incredibly draining. It is, let's be honest, it's incredibly draining. We need strength to love and only God can give us the ability to do so consistently and consistently well. And then be kind, be gentle, be patient, be humble. People feel loved when they experience you treating them, treating them that way. The one I think we have the hardest time with is patience. We expect people to make decisions fast and we expect them to change their lives faster. What if you were to walk with somebody their entire life? 
loving them, but they don't make a decision to follow Christ. Or maybe you're with them your entire life and they decided to stop following Christ. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you have failed. You are called to love them. So do that. Be there for them. Love them. Don't shy away from your beliefs. But don't let the point of your relationship be that they follow Christ. Let the point of your relationship be that you genuinely love them and value them because they are loved and valued by God. Of course it would be amazing if they followed Christ, but that's not why you love them. They are a person and they deserve to be loved. That's why you love them. Can you imagine if God didn't love us before we decided to say yes to him and become a son or a daughter in his family? He loved us so much before we did that. We are called to love people the same way God loved us before we even knew him. Love is messy and hard. Walking with people through life is messy and hard. It's okay to tell people the truth and confront them about unhealthy things in their life, but often we blast them and tell them the things in a way that is unhelpful. If you're communicating in love and you are not kind, you're not gentle, you're not humble, you're not keeping their best interests in the front, it's not going to go well. Love does not mean accepting all their behaviors. Love means accepting them as a person. But when the time is appropriate, calling them to something better in love. When the time is appropriate. You don't have to try convert someone every time you talk. You don't have to try confront something in their life every time you are with them. Loving them sometimes means you're just with them. You're having fun with them. And you're just in presence with them. Romans 2, starting in verse 1, I'm reading out of the message, speaks to this. Those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that by pointing your finger at others that you would distract God from seeing all of your misdoings and from coming down hard on you? Or did you think that he's such a nice God that he'll let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. The scripture is known as his kindness leads us to repentance. If God's kindness leads us to repentance, will not showing people kindness do the same thing? Kindness comes out of our love. Love people. 
Be kind, be patient, seek what's best, have hope for them. This is what it means to be in the family of God. Love, love, love. Who do you need to love today? Your annoying coworker? That family member who hurt you deeply? That friend that walked away from God? The immigrant across the street? The homeless person you pass every day on the way to work? The politician? The person of a different sexuality than you? Who needs to be shown love because God loves them? And he has given us, his sons and daughters, members of his family, the task of showing them love, his love. May it be said of us that we love well. Pray for others. Be kind, humble, patient. Seek out the best in others and the best for them. May we reflect the character of our our family, the one that we were adopted into. We are the sons and daughters of God. May we be easily identified by our love and the character of our family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us how much you love us and how important love is. Lord, will you just give each and every one of us the strength to love people? To love them the way you loved us. We need your strength to do this. Lord, help us be a people where we are known by our love. Not that people have to act a certain way, do certain things. Help us be real with each other. Help us be real with our family. Help us love well. Lord, right now, as we think about this, if there is, if there is somebody you want us to love, a specific person, will you just drop that into our, our minds right now, our minds and our hearts? that person that we need to go and we need to love. Help us to be quick to forgive. Help us to be quick to ask for forgiveness. If we've messed up, if we have not been loving, may we have the strength to ask for forgiveness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. We long to reflect your character, the character of our family, which is love. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week. Go love people.
helps me understand that you're my defense. What can stand against? I know the darkness has no chance. How you?